Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dan Buettner is an explorer, National Geographic fellow, award-winning journalist and producer, and a New York Times bestselling author. He discovered the five places in the world, dubbed Blue Zones, where people live the longest, healthiest lives. Dan now works in partnership with municipal governments, large employers, and health insurance companies to implement Blue Zones projects in communities, workplaces, and universities. Blue Zones projects are well-being initiatives that apply lessons from the Blue Zones to entire communities by focusing on changes to the local environment, public policy, and social networks. Get this, the program has dramatically improved the health of more than 5 million Americans to date. His Blue Zone series of books were all national bestsellers, and he's appeared on the Today Show, GMA, Oprah, among other national broadcasts. His latest book is a must-read, mouth-watering cookbook called The Blue Zone's Kitchen, 100 Recipes to Live to 100. Dan is one of my favorite people, and I'm thrilled to have him back on the MBG podcast today. Dan, welcome. Pleasure to be here. It is so great to have you here. The Blue Zones man, one of our favorite people doing incredible work. So thank you for being here. So I figure let's start with a little bit of refresher for the audience. What are the Blue Zones? They are areas around the world where people live statistically longest. It's more of a concept these days, but it began with a National Geographic assignment to find areas where people live to 100 at the highest rates or they have the lowest rate of chronic disease they're living about 10 years longer than the rest of us and we found the longest lived men in the world in sardinia in the highlands found the longest lived women in okinawa and ikaria greece an island where there's almost no dementia 10,000 people and they live about seven years longer than the rest of us the nicoya peninsula of costa rica these people spend one-fifteenth the amount Americans do on, he- on health care, and they have about double the chance of reaching a healthy age 90. And then in the United States, it's among the Seventh-day Adventist. And I profiled an area concentrated around Loma Linda, California. And adherent Adventists are also living about 10 years longer than their North American counterparts. So these are people who've achieved the outcomes we want. And the simple idea behind Blue Zones is rather than look for an answer of for longevity in a petri dish or a test tube, find populations that have achieved it, and reverse engineer. And, and how long ago was this? This all started when? Well, technically, the very first Blue Zone expedition was 20 years ago. And um, it got ramped up in 2004, 15 years ago, and I've been at it ever since. Not, not because I thought I was going to make a 20-year career out of it, but mostly <laughs> because people like it. And I just kind of blunder into the next thing. Started with magazine articles, then books, and now we're doing cities. And so we're going to talk about all those things, but I want to talk about the cookbook, The Blue Zones Kitchen, which when I got the book, we get a lot of books here at My Money Green. When I got this book, I was like, wow, this is beautiful. I'm taking this home. Yay. I'm going to eat some of this stuff. <laughs> Colleen, this is ours. It's not staying here. So why The Blue Zones Kitchen? And talk about the concept. Yeah, so the reality is I'm not a big believer in diets. And uh, as we talk more, you'll see that most of what helps us live longer has nothing to do with our conscious behavior. But nevertheless, I've learned over the years that the runway into people's hearts when it comes to changing their health behaviors is through their mouths. People like to eat. 
people connect over food. So in each of the blue zones, there's a very defined food tradition that's disappearing, that's being paved over by Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and junk food and sodas. And before that completely disappears, uh, photographer David McLean from National Geographic and I went out and we actually captured the recipes that were cooked on a daily basis in all of these blue zones. Simple peasant food for the most part, but 500 years of wisdom baked into these recipes that make them taste delicious. But more importantly, if you're eating them regularly, uh, they're likely to, to help you avoid disease, to, to live another 10 years. And we were saying you, you didn't work. This was, these recipes weren't created in a test kitchen. None of them. You were out there talking to people. I sat on a stool in old ladies' kitchens with my <laughs> laptop open, you know, these, these Sardinian uh, peasant villages. And they, they don't use measuring cups and, and teaspoons. I was sitting there typing these. I did have to correct them a little bit to get them in the book. And then none of the pictures, this is like a coffee table book. None of the pictures in here were shot in a studio. They were all shot like a National Geographic article. So it's really kind of a hybrid between what you'd see in the magazine and, and what you'd see in, in a kitchen. So something I thought was really cool in the book is you, you talk about these different regions, then you identify these longevity ingredients. So let's talk about the longevity ingredients and then what were some of your favorites? And some of the most unique ones too. There were some interesting ones in there. So some of the things you see over and over in all of these blue zones, they only use about 20 ingredients. They're not using this they're wild. Uh, um, 20 ingredients. Call. You're lucky if you go to the supermarket and you can find something in some of those aisles with less than 20 ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> but traditionally speaking, they're, they're, uh, they're, only, they're eating the same things over and over and over again. So we did a meta-analysis, 155 dietary surveys done over the past 100 years to find out what people were really eating. If you want to know what a centenarian ate to be 100, you have to know what they were eating when they were 10 and newly married and middle age and newly retired. And so um, we did that work to identify the key ingredients. So first of all, the, the five pillars of every longevity diet in the world are whole grains, corn, wheat, and rice, greens, literally hundreds of kinds of greens that many of which we wouldn't recognize, but we'd, we'd whack them out of our backyard and people in blue zones make beautiful pies out of them. Tubers, sweet potatoes or emo in Okinawa, and nuts, and then beans. And probably the hero, if, I, if you were to ask me if, there, if there's any supplement you should be taking to live longer, I'd say yes, you want 120 beans every day. <laughs> Uh, if you're eating a cup of beans a day, it's probably adding about four years to your life expectancy over eating no beans at all. And so within the group, I'm curious, like what were the most, within the regions, there are some interesting longevity ingredients. What, were there any that were particularly surprising or unique? So like yeah. avocados in here, I'm like, oh, okay, everyone knows avocado. Everyone's on board with that one. So here's, you know, this is the disruptive thinking here. There's all this hyperbole around superfoods. Yes. Superfoods <laughs> are a bunch of bullshit. There's no, the, the, when it comes, there's nothing you're going to eat today that's going to keep you healthier in 50 years. 
the secret to eating to live to be 100 is to eat a food, the food eating the same foods every day for uh, decades or, or a lifetime. And the type of foods that keep you from getting heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and dementia, diseases, avoidable diseases that are plaguing about 85% of American public right now. So most of the foods in here that I say are longevity foods are simple peasant foods. Interesting ones in, in uh, Okinawa, turmeric probably has more good research behind the anti-cancer, antioxidant, mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory quality. So turmeric, I would say, bitter melon, which mm -hmm. is also called goya. It's, uh, it looks like cucumber, warty cucumbers. There's three compounds in, in that that help lower blood sugar. So if you're pre-diabetic, it's good. Tofu, I think, is one of the great secrets in Okinawa because it's a protein substitute for maybe eating pork or something else or spam. Um, and then uh, in, in, um, in Sardinia, I would say it's uh, the Cananao wine. Uh, it's a very red wine made from uh, a Grenache grape that macerates with the seeds and the skin, so it has the highest levels of polyphenols of any uh, fava beans. In Icaria, I would say it's the herbs, uh, the oregano, the sage, and the rosemary, which are not only made, used in cooking, more importantly, they're used in teas because they couldn't afford coffee. Mm -hmm. They were drinking these teas, and all three of those herbs are anti-inflammatory, so they help mute, you know, you, you guys talk a lot about this here, the, the corrosive uh, power of, of um, uh, inflammation in the yeah. body. As we joke here, you don't want inflammation. You don't in want In some ways, it's like this catch-all. It's this nebulous term, but everyone knows, I don't want it. You don't, don't want, want it. it. That's right. And, you know, meat and cheese and eggs increase inflammation, and drinking rosemary uh, tea or, or oregano tea or sage tea lowers inflammation, and it's also a diuretic, so it lowers your blood pressure. And, again, it's not because they drink these teas once in a while, but because they drink them every day. For years or decades that probably is adding to to their longevity see the other thing i like about the blue zones is they eat dessert enter my favorite recipe in the book the costa rican <laughs> baked donuts <laughs> yeah you know the thing is okay on a whole they're uh, consuming about seven teaspoons of added sugar a day. In America, we we take in about 22 or 23. Whoa. Most of them are mindless. When people eat sugar in the blue zones, it's very mindful. It is dessert. It's a celebratory <laughs> food. It's not hidden in yogurts and ketchup and tomato sauces, etc. It's it's uh, yeah, you know, the thing to remember about eating to 100 is it cannot be a sacrifice. It, ca it cannot be right. limiting what you want. You, it, you want, if there are foods you love, you should be able to eat them. But the trick is not eating them every day or at every meal. The sure. trick is thinking them as celebratory foods. We eat about a thousand meals a day. I mean, a year. <laughs> be a lot in one day. A thousand, <laughs> a thousand meals a year. And uh, if you can just make say one out of ten of those meals be your celebratory meal, and the other nine. Uh, be um, more simple foods, beans, greens, grains, nuts, uh, you're going to live a lot longer. Sure. Well, there's something we've talked a lot about here, and it's this idea that, look, people are busy, and they just want to be told, hey, just tell me what to do. I'm in. And I can wellness that. can become very binary and black and white and restrictive to some degree. And then, you know, you could be sitting at dinner, 
with a group of friends celebrating and something comes across the table and you're going to say, wait, 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 I, you know, I can't have that. I'm, I'm breaking the diet and so forth. And then I, I would argue that the stress around not eating something that maybe in, in your case is a little detrimental, maybe it doesn't sit well with you is potentially more damaging than actually sitting around enjoying the food and not stressing around it. It's like this idea, it's probably better to maybe have the cake, not every day, but yeah. like during that moment, then be sitting there not having the cake and being all worked up and stressed about not having the cake. I agree with you. And then the, the next time you sit down to eat, you're going to be more tempted because you yes. you denied yourself the first. The, the most important ingredient in any longevity diet, take, take a guess what it is, Jason. Love. Love, I would say love is an important one. <laughs> purpose, <laughs> purpose. Purpose, I would say part. Uh, I could tell you the healthiest food in the world is fermented miso or that it is um, stir-fried bitter melon, but if you don't like those foods, you're not going to eat them. <laughs> the most important ingredient in any longevity diet is taste. You have to like it or you're not going to eat it long enough to make a difference. Because when it comes to longevity, no matter what is hyped to you, no matter what, what, what marketers tell you, there's no short-term fix there's no pill there's no supplement right. there's no hormone intervention that's going to reverse or stop aging the name of the game is to live in a way that you're not getting the diseases that will foreshorten your life well it's also i'd say the same thing about exercise i say you know the best exercise is the one you actually do and what's that's the right. one you're going to do it's the one you probably like you like you like cycling. I hate cycling. I'm never, you know. Maybe I go for a bike ride <laughs> yes, with you, a little one, but like, and then we'll play basketball. And then we'll play basketball. <laughs> um, I'm retired. I'll watch basketball. <laughs> you and John, but, but it, it's it's why put your. It's, it's just not going to last. It's about lifestyle. Well, you know that the, here's the, the. It took me tw about 15 years to tell you what I'm going to tell you right now. So I went off on these this, these blue zones expeditions for National Geographic, da -da 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 -da. <laughs> hoping to find this silver bullet, this thing that all people who live a long time do, and there's nothing. There's no silver. There's no special <laughs> herb. There's no. But the one thing you see in all these blue zones is they live in an environment where the healthy choice is the unavoidable choice. None of these people have great individual responsibility or great discipline or they're not on some magical program that keeps them living. They just live their life. And the big insight is not trying to change your behavior because you'll fail. Almost everybody fails diets and exercise programs, but to change your surroundings. Change your surroundings so that the healthy choice is the unavoidable or the mm -hmm. or at least the easy choice and once we start doing that then we'll start seeing this this chronic disease curve bend downward so that's a good segue to what you're doing across the world and specifically in the u.s with regards to blue zones and so talk about what you are doing to try to help people make those choices in certain cities so in 2009, I came back on fire from finding these five blue zones, and the, the blue zones was a New York Times bestseller, and I was pretty happy about it. But you go to all these uh, uh, talk shows, and you sit in the green room, and there's some other diet expert or health expert, and and I, I, I was pretty sure that this actually worked. So uh, I got funding from uh, AARP and... Um, University of Minnesota School of Public Health, and we went to about trying to manufacture a blue zone. And Albert Lee, Minnesota, we 
Well, we auditioned five cities and we picked Albert Lee, Minnesota. And the idea here is not trying to change the whole population's diet or exercise program, but change the policies, the restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, and schools, and people's homes and social lives. Use uh, scientific strategies to nudge people mindlessly into making a slightly healthier choice all day long. And in that city, we lowered health care costs by 40%, made big national news. We went to Fort Worth, Texas, the beach cities of California, Iowa. And now, now we've been to 50 cities. And in every city that turns over their population health initiative to us, we're able to lower the obesity rate, lower the smoking rate, and in most cases, uh, uh, ratchet up the li level of life satisfaction on in the whole city. So I know it's a complicated process, but can you give us a little insight into what what you do exactly? Yes. So every city we have three teams. One team is a policy team, and we have aggregated policy menus for food, built environment, which is streets and sidewalks, and then tobacco. And we work with city council and the mayor, and, and we go through a consensus process on which of these policies are most likely to be feasible and effective in this city. And in every case, the policy is going to favor uh, fruits and vegetables over junk food. It's going to favor the pedestrian and the cyclist over the motorist, and it's going to favor the non-smoker over the smoker. And in every case, we can usually get about eight policies passed in each of those areas, which are going to exert a positive effect on the whole city. I have a second team that administers a Blue Zone certification program for schools, restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, and churches. And in each case, they tweak their policy and their designs so that people mindlessly eat less, consume less junk food, move more, find their purpose and live out their purpose, and be social. And then the third team's job over the five-year period we're in these cities is to get 15% of the adult population to sign a Blue Zone pledge. And they take these checklists into their homes to make their homes more healthy. They join what we call a MOI, which is a social network of four other friends who agree to eat plant-based together or walk together. So you're developing social circles around healthy behaviors. And finally, to take a purpose workshop and volunteer. Once you find your sense of purpose, we give an outlet for and the reason for that is we know that volunteers have lower health care costs, lower BMI, and they're happier. I love it. So in terms of cities, before you came on, we were talking about one of our favorite cities, Austin, and our mutual friend, John Mackey, and, and the work you're doing with, with Austin, John, and also Matthew McConaughey down there. Yes. So, you know, we first of all, John Mackey is a great guy. The whole food diet, I'm a big fan of um, He's a truly enlightened, conscious capitalist who has... That's uh, his term. He invented it. Yeah, well, it certainly <laughs> propelled it. But yeah, and he's got like 250 people who uh, get together every year. And um, the, these are, the, the, you know, we tend to think of biz, big business as evil. And this is a manifestation of, of um, very successful business people who are really focused on doing good. John's at the middle, at the center of that. I'm a big fan of his, and he's really the guy who got America thinking about eating organics mm -hmm. and fruits and vegetables. He's a, he's a vegan himself and um, a plant-based eater, so he's a big inspiration and good friend. But um, Blue Zones doesn't um, just 
arrive at a city and say, we're here, we're going to start working, we audition. And we only work in cities where the um, local government and the business community work well together and they invite us in. And uh, John Mackey and Matthew McConaughey, who's from, from uh, Austin, invited, invited us in. And right now we're in the process of, of doing a deep assessment to make sure we can be effective there. Um, it's technically sponsored by Whole Foods. And um, we'll know in a few months if, if we can be successful in Austin. If we, and if we can, we'll, we'll start working there for five years to make it the next blue zone. So do you ever go to a city and say, can't be successful here and walk away? All the time. Wow. We've had over 400 cities ask us to come in and blue zone them, and we've only worked in 50. So Is it mostly because of local government? Uh, often it's local <laughs> government. because it's, Here's the end of the, you know, people say nanny state, and I know here in New York, Bloomberg got shut down when he tried to eliminate, you know, 16-ounce sodas, et cetera. Uh, we don't make a city do anything, but we say you have to do something. You know, as, as we are delusional in America if we think we're going to get 330 million Americas to find the right diet, get enough exercise, and follow that for long enough to avoid a chronic disease. It's never going to happen. This individual responsibility myth, forget it. You have to shift the focus from behavior to changing people's environment. And, uh, you know, a lot of cities, you, you know, they start telling about, re, you know, uh, re restricting people's freedoms. But until we create a food environment where uh, more than 95% or fewer than 95% of the choices are bad choices, we're not going to get a healthy mm -hmm. America. Uh, we spend th three times more time in our car today than we did in 1980. That's time we're not on our feet. Uh, we're progressively more lonely. In 1980, the average American had three friends. We now have under two. These are all, for the most part, products of our environment. And until we start reshaping our environment to be more human, uh, we're not going to see that health problems or that happiness problems uh, go away. Do you think we're suffering from a loneliness epidemic right now? I know we're suffering from a loneliness ep epidemic. 25% of Americans do not have three friends they can count on on a bad day. And social media doesn't count? Social, no, <laughs> Facebook friends don't count. No, this is real face-to-face -face people who, um, uh, who who you like and who uh, you can have a meaningful conversation with. We're, we're, we've... Every, well, Ever get on an airplane? Nobody talks to each other in airplanes anymore. Or just even restaurants, bars. You know, I remember going out. I'm 45, so I I remember going out and being single and going to a bar or going out to dinner with friends. And when you go out to dinner with friends pre phones, you'd sit around, the, you'd order, and then you'd sit and talk. Yes. There was the, what we call the space in between ordering <laughs> and then the meal. And the space in between was conversational. And if you were going out alone, you sit at a bar, you talk to people. Now the space in between is on your phone. On or, your phone. Or we all do. Like I do it even yeah. when I try not to. You just, it just happens. So like the space in between is gone. I think that's where boredom comes yeah. in. You know, boredom makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. And you might actually start talking <laughs> to the person next to you rather than. So. I want to focus on, look, so much of Blue Zones is around what we put on our plate and what we put in our bodies, but it's it's much bigger than that. And I want to segue to the 
what do you call that the power nine and the traits and some of the behavioral things in there we talked a little about emotional connection and the importance of that yes so i was very interested at the beginning to find the common denominators of all these blue zones sardinia Ikaria, okinawa asia nicoya in latin america the united states and in in all five of those places you see the same things happening over and over again number one they don't exercise and by the way exercise has been largely an unmitigated failure in America. <laughs> Fewer than 20% get enough exercise. Yet we keep marketing it and you know trying to get people to go out and do jumping jacks or whatever. We, we aren't doing it. In blue zones, people live in places where every time they go to work or to a friend's house or out to eat, occasions a walk. They have gardens out in their backyard, so they're spending an hour or two there. They don't have buttons to push for yard work and housework and kitchen work. They're you know, kneading corn by hand or kneading dough by hand for bread or grinding corn. They suffer the same stress as we do, but they have daily rituals to reduce or reverse the stress and inflammation. They say prayers. They take naps. They do happy hour. Uh, <laughs> they have vocabulary for purpose. So they know why they wake up in the, in the morning. If purpose were a pill, it would be a blockbuster drug. People who know their sense of purpose live about eight years longer than people who are rudderless. I love that. Purpose were a pill, blockbuster drug. It'd be huge. And then when it comes to what they eat, they're eating mostly a plant-based diet, 90 to 100%. High carb, by the way. Good carbs. Good carbs. Carbs is like the worst word in the American language because, <laughs> because both lollipops and lentils sure. are carbohydrates. And we're all confused and carbs gets demonized. But when actually in blue zones, 65% of what they put in their mouth is a complex carbohydrate, mm. which is to say a grain or sure. a bean or, or a tuber. And then the foundation on which all of this rests, this is probably 50% of of adding years to your life. They put their family first. 50% of all Americans, middle-aged Americans, wind up in a retirement home. The moment you step in a retirement home, it shaves two to six years off your life expectancy. Wow. So staying home with a family. Multi-generational living. Yep. Kids in those families. Something called the grandmother effect has shown in many cultures that a household with a grandparent, the kids in that household have lower rates of disease, uh, lower rates of mortality, and they do better in school. That makes us feel good. I don't know if you know this, but my mother watches our our two little ones. I love. That. She drives though. She has to, she has a hellish commute. She doesn't live with us. We're not. We don't have a big enough place. But uh, she she cares for the little ones. So, mom, I hope you're listening. It's good for everyone's health. It, it gets your mom up in the morning. It yeah. keeps your mind. She, she. It's probably a workout taking care of your kids. It is. <laughs> I get tired. I get tired. <laughs> she doesn't need the gym after that. Um, the other thing is belonging to a faith. Um, Americans are increasingly um, um, drifting away from faith, but people belong to a faith and show up four times a, a month, live four to 14 years longer than people who don't. And, uh, and then finally, and this is the biggest of these nine common denominators, is thinking about your friends. We know that if your three best friends are obese or overweight, there's a 155% better chance that you'll be overweight uh, yourself. Um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, loneliness, and unhappiness are all contagious. So if you're hanging out with people who are dragging you down and encouraging you to eat crappy food, 
Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily tell you to dump your old friends. I will tell you that proactively going out and finding a few friends whose idea of recreation is basketball or biking who are vegetarians. Not bad to have a vegetarian <laughs> or a vegan. Kathy Freston, for example, in your social network. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and then friends who really care about you. And nobody thinks of longevity as adding friends. You know, we're marketing supplements and all this other crap. But really putting the effort into creating, the, the Okinawans call it a moai, group of four or five people who really nourish you is arguably the most powerful thing you can do to add years to your life. Because when it comes to longevity, there's no short-term fix, hmm. and friends tend to be long-term adventures. I love that. You're my friend. I, I, I want to <laughs> hang out. Every time, every time I see you, I'm like, I want to hang out with Dan more. <laughs> Yeah. That's when you emailed yesterday. You're like, I'm here. I'm like, we'll do it. Whatever it takes. We love hanging yeah, out with you Dan. You were. You were phenomenal. Dan, well, Dan's yeah. one of the, you're one of those people that you're, you're just around. You're like, I want to hang out with Dan more. you got great energy, very positive. It. So it's all of you who are listening. I'm happy to come over to your house. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have a solution, guys. New Blue Zones. We're working on multiplying Dan. I'm sure there's a physicist oh, in Silicon scary. Valley probably working on that as we speak. Uh, so what advice do you have to someone out there who, you know, hard work, working long hours, family to support, commuting, hellish commute, who's, you know, trying to incorporate a little bit more blue zones into their life. But, you know, they're, they're, they're listening. They're like, well, I, walking's tough and live in an area. There's a great, one of my favorite quotes, um, uh, the gorilla gardener talking about uh, South Central LA, um, Ron Finley. He had a quote, more people are killed by drive-thrus than drive-bys. It takes me <laughs> That's 40, true. Yeah, and he said it takes me 40 minutes to grow an organic tomato, and Finley's done a lot of work in South Central trying to get access to fresh fresh fruits and vegetables. But you get my point. Like, Yeah. So what do you say to people? Maybe that's an extreme circumstance, but want a little bit more blue zones but don't know where to start. Yeah. I, 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 most people I don't think see clearly. People going through college right now, and I have two kids going through college, they're so kind of in this rut of, well, they, college loan or university loan, and got to pay that off, and I need to get a job, and then your friend's buying a house, and then you're getting married, and you just sort of get sucked along this vortex, and the next thing you know, you're commuting an hour in each way, and you're stressed out, and you're trying to feed your kids, et cetera. You're listening to this podcast on your commute, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> We're trying to make it better. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or on your run, maybe. But here's the thing. If happiness were a cake recipe, and you know I've been on your this podcast talking about happiness before, another book I wrote. If happiness were a cake recipe, you need food, shelter, health care. You need some enough money to treat yourself once in a while. You need meaningful work. It's really helpful to have um, the right partner in life. You need the feeling of giving back. But the ingredient with the most variability, in other words, the most important ingredient to this cake recipe, is where you live. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that from following immigrants who, from unhappy places like Moldavia and Southeast Asia, when they move to Canada, which is a very happy country, their happiness within a year achieves the happiness level of their adoptive home. In the United States, we have very unhappy places, parts of this country. Suburbs and excerpts tend to be unhappy. And the um, southeastern part of the United States, Appalachia, very unhappy. Um, we, you can A, move to a happier place. 
you take a, a state like Kentucky. There are areas in Kentucky where the life expectancy is 20 years less than it is in places like Boulder, Colorado, or, or San Luis Obispo, or Santa Barbara. So the first thing is to think about moving. If you have a long commute and you're not happy, first thing I'd say, move closer to work because commute, the commute is the thing we yeah. hate the most on a daily basis. Um, and then secondly, if it, you know, people say, I'm not going to move. But actually, if you look at the census data statistics, the average American moves about 11 times in their adult life. That gives you 11 opportunities to be mindful about where you should move. Move close to work. Move to a walkable neighborhood. Move to a place where you have easy access to green space. Move to a place where you're going to bump into people and socially interact. The happiest people are interacting six or seven hours a day. So that's a big thing. Second thing, make sure your family cooks together. Or even if it's you that you're cooking, learn a few easy plant-based recipes, enough of them so that you know there's a half a dozen that you like and cook together. Make the time for it. People say, I don't have time to cook. Well, actually, if you're eating junk food your whole life, it's going to shave six or seven years off your life. So take those years back and sprinkle them <laughs> out throughout your day and find 20 minutes a day to cook your own food, ideally with your kids, so they start learning the skills to eat healthy. It's one of these things is a great investment in time. And then I would say the most important thing is invest in, in good friends. Make time for them. Knock off early. You know, you're not going to uh, wish you would have worked another five hours a week on your deathbed. Right. So... So on the subject of food in cities, any uh, Blue Zones friendly restaurants in various cities across the country that you're a fan of? I love Crossroads in, in uh, Los Angeles, um, Spoon River in Minneapolis, um, Craig's in, in, um, in Los Angeles has good vegan, Oliver's in Santa Barbara, I can go on and on. But here's the general. For, for fast food, a trick is to go ethnic. So the Blue Zone eating is mostly plant-based. So I just ate at some, looked like a hole-in-the-wall um, Indian place. They had dal, and they had chickpeas, and they had sweet potatoes and rice. Very Blue Zone dinner. A Chipotle. Chipotle is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah. Just do beads and the, the, the vegetables. Um, so, yeah, Mexicans and ethnic food, and you, you, you can find a Blue Zone meal. So with regards to Blue Zones, what's exciting to you right now? And what do you want to, where do you want this conversation to be going, say, a year from now? Well, it is exciting. Both Austin, Texas, Orlando, Florida, and Jacksonville, Florida have just come on as, as Blue Zone cities. And the fact that these cities of over a million people are in charging my team, and this includes the mayor, and they spent a lot of money hiring our team um, it's in a way you feel a little bit like you're over the skis, but on the, on the other hand, it's I, I can't think of another job that impact more people in a, a meaningful way. Like I know I add millions of years of life expectancies to the city people who live in the cities that I work in, and I am trying right now. <clears throat> the thing is, it was an innovation. And it's like mind, body, green, too, a little bit. You know, you start out with an idea. And then all of a sudden, you know, I walked in your, your, um, 
your, your main uh, headquarters here and there's 50 people with their head down and they're all doing complex job. To scale something, innovators need to try new things and if it doesn't work, throw it away quickly and try something new. Operators, they need to find processes and lock them down. And it's actually diametrically opposed to innovation. <laughs> so I'm in this place where I'm trying to innovate and now I got 50 cities doing this thing and and uh, it's a tremendous academic and an intellectual uh, challenge for me to uh, keep this culture of innovation but yet scale now to you you're know, entrepreneur every every business has this challenge oh my gosh yeah it's 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 you know I'm a, I'm a I'm a explorer for Christ's sake I don't know any of this stuff so I've I've had to stretch my mind and and uh, hire good people to help me well, congratulations on the cookbook, Blue Zones Kitchen, guys. Check it out. It's one I'm taking home with me. That's so a, sorry, guys, here at My Muddy Green. It's coming home. I can see, like, you know, <laughs> like, like the, the, the I'm taking this home award. I mean, <laughs> who needs a Pulitzer? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dan, for being here. Guys, check out everything Dan, Dan does, all things Blue Zones, and especially the new cookbook. Congrats. Thank you very much. It's really an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dan. Thank you.